Hey, welcome to Recharting Your Life with Hope. I'm Hope Cook, creator and host. If you feel stuck, restless, overwhelmed, or dissatisfied with your current life, despite your life looking pretty good on paper, or at least on social media, I can totally relate. Together, we'll figure out how to take the next right step. I'll interview women who are a little farther along on the path and get tips and ideas from them. I definitely don't have it figured out, so I'll share the ups and downs of my own journey with you. Let's get started because life is too short to waste in autopilot. If you want to be the best possible version of you, you're in the right place. It's season two and the kids are back in school. Today's the first day the kids are back in school. So it's like a holiday for me. And, you know, I should redo my intro and redo some things about the podcast, but I'm doing it messy, y'all. I'm upstairs in my closet. I at least got dressed today, but I'm not going to redo the intro while I sound all gross and nasally. Um, I can't wait for y'all to hear today's interview. It's with my friend Pam. She is a fellow physician assistant, and you're in for a great treat today. So sit back, enjoy this, and if you have any ideas about people I should interview, please send me an email, hope.cook at gmail.com. Hey, y'all. Today we have Pam Salgado. She is a fellow physician assistant, and she is on the other side of the United States in California. So thanks for getting up early to do this podcast. Thanks for having me, Hope. Yeah, I can't even really remember how we met. It was in a, I'm sure it was in a PA Facebook group, but I do remember that night you couldn't sleep or you got up at like the crack of dawn because it was around 7 a.m. my time. So it must've been like three or four in the morning, your time. And we just started talking and talking and we hit it off and we were comparing notes on our careers. And so I am so excited to have you here so I can hear your whole journey and let our listeners hear it too. Thank you, Hope. I'm so excited to be here. Um, So I know you, you work in ear, nose, and throat. Did you start off your career? And I mean, you used to work in ear, nose, and throat. Did you start off your career that way? I had my first year 11 years ago when I uh, graduated from UC Davis PA program. I was first in gynecologic oncology. And so that's basically um, working in the outpatient setting, doing a whole lot of way too many pap smears. um, And also... (laughs) Uh, being first assist in surgery and I worked with the Da Vinci robot, which is amazing. I loved it. And then we also did open um, surgery. There was a lot of hysterectomies, um, colposcopies. I did a lot of procedures and I would round on inpatients um, and discharge them. And that was, it was great. I really liked it, but it was very intense, but this was 11 years ago before kids. Yes. And, um, and I would never imagine my life like that. Like it wasn't, I was working like 60 or 80 hours a week. And, uh, but that yeah, was my but you job. can do that before kids. I mean, you yeah. have like, you don't realize what you're capable of work-wise and then kids come into the picture and you have three little girls, right? Yeah. Girl mom. I have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old and a just turned three-year-old. Oh my gosh. And they're on their way to jujitsu right now. So hopefully I don't get any in, um, interruptions. So That's <laughs> All right. So you were working this crazy job and were you married at the time? Um, so yes. So when I graduated from PA school the week before, two weeks before I graduated, me and my husband got married in Cabo. Oh my and then gosh. Just got back from Greece the morning of my graduation. Wow. So from our honeymoon. So it was like, boom, boom, boom. And then I started studying for the boards. And then I started working, like, I think it was like July or August after I passed my boards in GYN oncology. And that was great. I loved it, but it was just really depressing. Like a lot of my ovarian cancer patients, I see them, it was like a very good continuity of care where it would be, you know, seeing them in the pre-op for the initial consult, being in the operating room with them, debulking huge ovarian cancers and tumors up to like 25 pounds out of somebody's abdomen. Oh my gosh. And then then post-operatively we discharge, I watch them every morning, like round around 6.30 in the morning. And then um, I would discharge them and then we'd see them in follow-up. 
And then they'd be going through chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and then we'd see them every like couple of months for follow-ups. And then all of a sudden these patients would stop showing up oh. and then they'd click on their chart and it'd be like, this patient is deceased. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I would cry in the shower at night because oh. I just felt like, I, I felt like, what is the point of us doing all these surgeries where it's so painful for the recovery? Like, why would anybody endure all that chemo radiation? They're just going to die in a couple months, you know? That's true. It's so rough so, on your body. Yeah, that was, it was kind of a damper on my, um, I'm usually a really happy person, just like Hope. <laughs> You're <laughs> such a happy person. But I became this really depressed person. Um, am I talking too loud? I'm sorry. No, you're good. Okay. Um, and so I, I luckily my husband, his family lives in San Diego and I grew up in Northern California in Stockton. And he's like, I am not going to live another year in Sacramento because he grew up where the weather was always 70 degrees around, around, you know, year round. And all his family was down here, but I was like, I don't want to move away from my family, but I hate my job now. So let's go. So I could start a new job. And then um, luckily when I was in PA school, I was training for the two years that I was in case I had met the, um, the chairman of the department, um, Dr. Brody, who was amazing. He took me under his wing, taught me everything I needed to know. And so his best friend was the chairman of Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego. And so I barely even had an interview. They just said, you're our second PA we've ever had. Wow. Uh, we're just, we already know, you know, everything, but we're just going to have you shadow us initially. And then I ended up after a year or two of like learning how to do pediatric ENT, which is like involved scoping babe, newborn babies, Ooh. 20 year olds. And a scope is like a little spaghetti noodle you put inside of a crying child's nose. <gasps> and then you point it down the throat and you're visualizing on a screen, their vocal cords and <sighs> seeing if they're like pathology or a lot of times newborn babies have noisy breathing called Strider. Yeah. And so you have to evaluate just to make sure there's no mass around this area um, or have any other pathology. And so I, it was very intense. Like I, I went from being able to scope like a, uh, like an adult that would sit still and not cry. Yeah. Even though a couple of days of bagels, like it usually was okay. Yeah. And going to like working with these crying children and as, trying to scope a six-year-old is torture. Yeah. And just hearing the crying, like I, yeah, I would get nightmares at night being like scoping kids, but I did it for 10 years. Oh my gosh. And then, um, so fast forward to, um, I would say it was about eight years ago and, um, I was, I was really unhappy. I, I think I was just, I needed a change. And, um, I ended up leaving Rady Children's for a couple of years to go to Kaiser. And I don't know if you're familiar with Kaiser, cause I don't think you guys have a lot on the East coast. We have Kaiser over here. Oh, you do. Yeah. So they are, I was Kaiserized. Like Kaiser <laughs> is a good gig. Like you can get 401k and it's, I was making more than my husband and my husband's a head neck surgeon and I was, wow. And I was That's crazy. I know. Wait. And okay. Do you had kids at this time? Yes. So I had just had two kids at that point. Okay. And so I left to go to Kaiser. Did and you think like, what was going through your head when you left? Cause you had a pretty good job. Was it just that the kids, the surgeries and stuff were so intense? I mean, the procedures no, I was only outpatient. I was used to it and everything, but like, I kind of needed a change and I was kind of heading, butt heading, um, with my the chairman that like took me under his wing. He taught me everything for pediatrics, but he has a very intense personality. Yeah. And I was like, I just need to stop walking on eggshells. I need to try something new. And I found, I really, I prayed about it. And I know yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to get all biblical on you, but I prayed to God and I said, you know, show me what I need to do. And immediately on my phone, I got this job for Kaiser and ENT. Wow, and was, that was fast. It was very, very fast. Like that night I applied. And the next day I'm in clinic, or probably two days ago, I'm in clinic with our new chairman at ENT. And he's like, I got a phone call yesterday from the chairman of Kaiser asking, and I didn't, I didn't tell anybody at work. Oh no. So Kaiser called for a reference. Yes. Because the, the new chairman is in military and the the chairman at Kaiser was in military. So they (sighs) knew each other. And he made a phone call and he basically was like, Hey, tell me about Pam. What's going on with her? And she's like, he goes, I gave you glowing remarks. I know why you're leaving. We will miss you, but you need to take this job. He basically told me I should leave oh because my gosh. There, I needed to, to get out of the situation because he knew nobody, yeah. was, nothing was going to change until he became chairman, which is the truth. Yeah. And so 
I went to Kaiser and it was a living nightmare. Like I don't care how much money I made. I was on call every Wednesday from, I would, I would have clinic on Wednesday from 8 a.m. until like 6 p.m. And I would start call from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And I ended up being on call at three different hospitals towards the end. And I wow. was living in, in North County, San Diego, and our hospitals were in San Diego, which is like a 45 minute drive with no traffic. Okay. If there's traffic, it's like an hour and a half. But luckily I would get called at like three in the morning. So there's never traffic, but I was so overwhelmed. And like the calls I would get, like, I know, Hope, I've told you this, like I had a TMJ dislocation and I was like, only in for people who don't know, that's a jaw that's like dislocated. Pam wrote about it yeah. on my blog. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. That's yeah. Right so you had, okay, you had two kids, babies, I'm guessing at this time. Oh, I think at that point they were like four and two. And your husband's a surgeon. So I'm guessing he's not, you know, he's not home all the time either. And you're doing these crazy overnight shifts where you have to take call at three different hospitals that are not like really close together. And you'd get called in the middle of the night. (laughs) That sounds awful, but you're making a killing. Yes. But I was like, anytime you went into the hospital, you get paid time and a half and it's a minimum of two hours. So I was making like almost $150 an hour. Wow. And I'm like, at first I was like really gung ho and some nights I wouldn't get called in, but it was literally for, for two and a half years, every single Wednesday, there was probably two or three Wednesdays that I didn't work because I wasn't ever sick, but we went on vacation or something. So could you imagine a hundred Wednesdays? Wow. Like, and they kept hiring these new PAs. And then there was two senior PAs. One of them never took call. She was like in her sixties and her husband had Alzheimer's. So I was totally like fine that she wasn't taking call. Then there was another PA that I was with and he would take call every Tuesday. And then they hired a new man that came in that was young and he started shadowing the senior PA. And so they would tag team every other Tuesday. And there was two other PAs that weren't even on our department that would do Thursday and Friday. And then the residents would do the weekend. So wow. I was the only one doing Wednesdays. Then they hired another PA who was a female. And they told me, she's not going to tag team with you. She's going to do like every Thursday. And I'm like, no, I can't. Like, yeah, this is not fair. And so luckily I got pregnant, went on maternity leave and never went back. That's funny. I felt really guilty. But at the same time, now that I'm looking back on it, I'm like, why did I have to deal with those like airway emergencies, the TMJ locations? None of my attendings really ever came in to help me. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I just had to figure it out on my own. I know, but that's a, and that's a good point that a lot of times we don't feel like we have a voice. And so you don't speak up. So even though inside and probably to your husband, you're saying, this is not fair. I'm so like, I'm not being treated fairly. The other PA doesn't have to do this or the attending's not even like looking over my shoulder and I'm his physician assistant. Um, And my husband was like, I would ask him like for go back to the TMJ dislocation, like I was on call for ENT and oral maxillofacial surgery, which I am not, I don't know, like oral maxillofacial surgery is a completely different field. Yeah. And you picture all the emergencies that can happen from the neck up. Like that's a lot. And you're the, you're the person like if it's 3am, you're the person that has to go in and take care of it. Yeah. And so with the TMJ dislocation, I asked my husband, I'm like, so what am I supposed to do? And he's like, well, I've never seen a TMJ dislocation. I call my uncle head neck surgeon. He's like, well, I've never seen it. You need to call oral maxillofacial surgery. And I'm like, what? And I'm freaking out while I'm on the phone and and the doctor's trying to tell me what to do. And this is in the middle of the night. Yeah. It's like at two in the morning and he's like, (laughs) you'll be fine. And if you can't get it done, we'll just take them to the operating room at 7am. I'm like, that's five hours away. Like this lady's in pain. So I show up I end up being able to put it back into place and you can read Hope's article for all the intense intensivity that went into it. Yeah. But um, the other incident that I wanted to mention was the airway emergency that I had to deal with. Yeah. Do I Tell me time? about that. Yeah. Um, so there was a like 58 year old woman who came in, HIPAA, I'm not going to mention anything else. And I got a call at midnight from the on-call emergency room doctor. And this was at the brand new hospital they had just built down at the Kaiser. It's beautiful, but I, nobody knows where anything is because it had only been open for like a month. Okay. And so 
and they're like, okay, there's this 55 year old woman who's had a trach and a laryngectomy. Her voice box was removed 20 years ago for this cancer. And she has a permanent stoma, which is an opening in her neck. And she came in a week ago and you guys um, ended up having to put in, intubate her and put in a tube to keep it open because she was really sick. And so her hole went from about a two centimeter hole to like a, like the size of a pencil. And so they put, they put a larger tube it's called a cannula in the middle to keep it open. And she came in because she couldn't breathe and oh she gosh. wanted it removed. And mind you, I don't know if you know the anatomy, but when you have a laryngectomy, everything is closed. So she can, she can eat, but everything like the vocal cords and everything above it is closed out. So she can't breathe through her nose, if that makes sense. Oh my gosh. Um, it, it, so this is her only airway right here. She so it's like the size of a, so she had like a breathway, uh, airway, the size of a straw and y'all yes. had put in a bigger tube and this lady's coming mm -hmm. in and she's like, I don't like it. I want it removed. Yes. So I talked to my husband and he's like, do not remove it. Whatever you do, do not remove it. <laughs> she, her status is DNR, DNI, do not resuscitate, do not intubate. So if, if stuff goes wrong, okay, she's going to die, you know, yeah. cause like it's against what her, what is that called her advanced directive? It's against what her wishes are. And, um, I finally get to 45 minutes later. So it's like two in the morning I get there and I try to find her and I finally find her. Cause I don't even know where the emergency room is. One of my first times I've ever been there. And I'm asking the nurse, I'm like, we need a peach trach. We need all these things. We need a scope. I need it at the bedside right now. Like she's really having difficulty breathing. And it, when she talked, she talked like this. And like all of her mucus was in there and she would cough, cough, cough. And it, I just needed to suction it. And they didn't have a small enough suction because she had a peach trach in there. So I was like trying to find this like ear suction too, but nobody knows where anything is. Oh my gosh. So like an hour goes by and we finally get everything we need. And um, I call the uncle surgeon and it's like three in the morning. And I'm like, you know what? Like, my husband said I shouldn't remove her trach, but she's demanding I remove it. And <laughs> this, this surgeon who I'm actually, my husband's really good friends with, he said, you have to abide to her wishes. You have to do what she says. I'm like, you're trying to tell me I need to kill her. Right. I'm not going to kill her. That's what I would and be he's thinking. Like, he's like, she's not going to die. Just, just remove the trach and leave. Like, don't stay there. You need to oh leave. My gosh. And I was like, no way. Like, can you come in? I feel very uncomfortable. You need to come in and help me. He's like, no, all you have to do is cut, cut the sutures out and remove it. That's it. Like, don't worry. I'm not coming in. And I was like, I don't want to mention his name because I love him to death. And he thought he was doing the right thing. You know, like my yeah. husband, I didn't listen to him. And what did I do? So quick, quick, I pulled it out. Oh no. Because my attending, I thought my attending would know better. But my husband's been an attending for 10 years, I should have listened to it. And you should have listened to your gut. Cause I bet yes. your gut was saying, don't do it. Don't do it. But we don't exactly. always, I mean, you, it's so hard in the moment. So you so did it. Did she, did her airway shut? So I like, am in this beautiful little suite where all the nurses are hanging out, having a potluck. Nobody's, I'm not talking to anybody. I'm just stressed out. And I'm like, okay. I'm telling them like, I need this peach trait kit at her bedside. Like, I feel like something bad's about to happen. And I'm typing, typing, two minutes goes by here. <gasps> oh my gosh. I'm screaming for help. I run in, no nurses are listening because they don't, they're talking. They're at the potluck. And I run in there and she's like, like flailing on the bed that oh, she can't breathe. my gosh. And in order to, I go, we need help in here. And I have the peach trach. And then there's like literally a thing on the end that looks like a pointy, like a knife kind of on the end, but it's not metal, it's plastic. <laughs> and it goes into the hole and her airway is smaller than the pencil, like a lid, a top of oh. the pencil. I think I have one right here. Um, yeah. So it's about the size of this eraser. Okay. And she's like, how about this mucus? She's like, <clears throat> and so luckily a couple nurses, I go, you need to hold her down. And she's like white, like she's about to die on me, you know? But and you I weren't like, supposed to, you weren't supposed to do anything, but right? But she's asking for help. Oh, okay. Like, gotcha. I'm not going to, I'm not going to not do it. Yeah. because she wants to live. And, and if you'd mother, done that and left, like the doctor told you to, like just snip the stitches, pull the tube out and leave, like she would have I died. Mean, the ER doctor, ER doctor might've been able to do it, but it was a matter of seconds. You yeah, know? I, mean, I mean, by the time you I take the elevator, it's like, she's gone. Yeah, I don't even hear them yell a code blue. Like I don't hear anything. I just, 
I'm in the moment and they're holding her down and I grab this trach tube and I'm shoving it in her throat. There's like blood spewing everywhere. And nobody has like, I mean, everybody has eye protection and everything like that, but it literally like spurts all over the corners. And then she's like, it's in my chest, it's in my chest. And I pull it out and I do it again. And she's like, <sighs> oh my gosh. And I like tied it down. And I'm like, are you okay? She's like, yes. And she had this like really strong personality. She never said thank you. I did not need a thank you. I was like, I'm going to hang out here for a little bit longer, but, but I'm going to go call your, your um, daughter and make sure that she knows what just happened. But I think you need to look into your advanced directive and, and get rid of the DNR DNI because you have a lot to live for. Yeah. She, she never, she just was kind of this like, I mean, if you had a trach, I think I would be the same way. She's kind of this ornery old lady. Yeah. But the look in her eyes, like I knew she was about to die. And I still felt like I saved her life. So I leave the hospital. Everybody's high-fiving, like, good job. I'm like, no, I don't want to deal with this anymore. This is not something that yeah. I want to do. But I felt this sense of peace knowing that I didn't leave. I didn't yeah. leave her like somebody else would have. Yeah. Know? So was that your aha moment when you were like, I can't do this anymore? Because yes. on top of that, I was super pregnant. I yeah. was like, I don't know how pregnant. I was already planning on leaving because the, the hospital opened like in February or March and I was due like March 11th. So, okay. so this was really she close. She could have easily like kicked me in the stomach. You know what I yeah. mean? But I didn't, I didn't even think of that. I'm just like, I'm like hovering over her. Like who cares about my belly? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. All right. So then you took your maternity leave and what was your plan? Like, where did you have a plan? Were you thinking I'm going to be a stay at home mom for a little while? That wasn't an option. I never, I thought maybe with three kids, I would, me and my husband talked and honestly, going to work is like a break. You know, there's hope. That's true. Like, yeah. It's, you can enjoy a warm cup of coffee and this assistance made for me Oh. Um, back in 2011, I think. And it's like number one PA and it's all puff paint. Like I drink out of this and this makes me feel like I'm, this is where I'm supposed to be. You know yeah. What I mean? Yeah. I always say a three-day weekend is, well, I mean, my kids are older now, but when they were little, a three-day weekend was the hardest thing. And by that Tuesday, I was like, oh, ready to get back. Yes. So yeah. So you weren't going to be a stay-at-home mom, but did you know that you wanted to go back to ear, nose, and throat? So I actually, um, one of the surgeons that I'm really good friends with who has two, two boys that are the same age as my oldest, she came over to, I think she brought me a meal and a gift um, when I was about to go back to Kaiser. And I might, me and my husband said like, I need to find another job. There's no way I can go back there. It's yeah. too stressful. Um, she said, oh, how's Kaiser going? I'm like, no, I'm not going back. And she said, well, you know that our previous attending is leaving and starts telling me like you know if you want your job back I'm pretty sure you'll get it back I was like really <laughs> and so I this is like three years later yeah okay so I was like yes 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 so I get a call from my one of my best friends um who's been a PA there for 17 years now and she's like I heard you want to come back and I said yes whatever you can do put in a good word for me and then I get a phone call from my current attending and he's like, I heard, like literally within minutes after I got on the phone or saw my other attending that came over, he said, hey, I want to offer you your old job back. What do you Tell me when it can happen. And it was like, it was a miracle. And it was amazing. I was so glad to be back. Yes. And I'm glad you were honest when the lady asked. Well, <laughs> but yeah, when the doctor brought over the meal or whatever and asked how it was going, I mean, so many of us are like, it's fine. It's fine. You know, and we're not honest about it's not fine. I don't want to go back. So yeah. good for you for being honest, because otherwise you may not have heard about your old job hiring. No, but the thing is, they weren't hiring. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> That's the thing. And I was like, I, I was worried that I had burned them because I left, you know, but everybody pretty much understood why I left. Yeah. And so that's why they were so understanding. Yeah. And so I think the hardest part was during COVID, I got furloughed for a few months, which was great because uh, my kids yeah. were all homeschooled and I was really happy about that. But when I get got back, it wasn't the same. It was like everybody was super anxious because we do a lot of aerosolized procedures and there was a lot of providers 
internationally yeah. that were dying. Um, yeah, ear, nose, and throat was one of the most, one of the riskiest medical professions, I think, because COVID spread that way. So yeah, you yeah. were hearing about ENT doctors and PAs just dying. Exactly. And so it wasn't the same when I went back and I just got a really, it was not even like one person, just everybody was on edge. And I would, I would go to try to tell the MAs, like, you have to wear an N95 if we're doing a scope, like, they're like, but you know, they have a negative COVID test. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Right. This is an air slice procedure and then I could stay in the air. And, and I got in big trouble because I, I told them to wear face masks because we got an email and it was like, the new hospital policy is for everybody to wear eye protection. And so make sure you wear eye protection with every patient interaction, especially if you're doing air slice procedures. Mm -hmm. And none of our, our MAs were doing that. So it was at the end of the day when I got the email and I go and tell them, and apparently I freaked everybody out and they misinterpreted it. And they said that, that the hospital isn't, they, they physically, they basically told me, told on me and said, Pam says that we're not, the hospital doesn't want to spend money on masks or something, but I never said that. Yeah. It was misinterpreted. It was like when you play telephone. Yes. Like, and so I got reamed. Like it was, it, I felt so bad. I was like, I'm just, I'm trying to do the right thing and look out for no. And I got in big trouble. And ever since that happened, nothing was the same. And yeah. so I was really unhappy. And um, actually about four months ago now, me and there's six PAs at this point. So okay. Four of them have been there for two to four years. And I've been there for um, on and off with Kaiser, nine point Kaiser, about seven years. And then my senior PA was there for 17 years. He's okay. my best friend. And he asks me to go to neurosurgery. I'm the only one that goes to neuro, that try that he's asked. And then he had his reasoning. I wasn't going to take call because of all that things that happened at Kaiser. I specifically told him I never want to take call. I wasn't running on inpatients and I wasn't doing working in the operating room because I didn't want to, because I have three kids. Yeah. And Denise was the same way my PA that I'm friends with. And she, um, she, but she wasn't asked to leave. They only asked me to leave. So and they so asked you I, to transfer to, from ear, nose and throat to neurosurgery. Neurosurgery. Still working so in I, pediatrics there? Yes, it's at, it's at the same children's hospital. Okay. That's so, a totally different like, field. That's like asking a first grade teacher, can you go teach high school chemistry or I don't know, vice yeah, versa. Or neurosurgery. Why don't you go teach, yeah. teach neurosurgery to medical students? I don't know anything about neurosurgery. Yeah. And I mean, headaches. I mean, that's all I know, right? Right. <laughs> and, and so I, I go to interview with the nurse practitioner that needs help. And it just, it was not a good fit. Yeah. So I immediately call HR because my husband's like, why is he only asking you out of all the other four PAs are not even close to being senior. And so I call HR. They're like, we didn't know anything that he was asking you to do this. And then they're like, well, you still have a position as an EMT PA, so you don't have to go. A month goes by and they, they call this meeting for all the PAs because we need to, we're losing a lot of money. And the night before I have this meeting at 10 o'clock at night, I get a text from one of my good friends, because my uh, my best friend had been in and out of the hospital. Um, he dealt with alcoholism and had congestive heart failure, liver failure, kidney failure. And she said that he passed away. And oh. like the day before. Wow. And he's like, he was my neighbor. Like when we grew up together, we, I mean, we didn't go to the same college, but we've been best friends. I talked to him every single day. Mm -hmm. um, and he, you know, it was like kind of, it was really, really, really sad. And so I was up all night crying. And then the next morning they tell me that I have to go to plastic surgery. That's so, my only option. Okay. So they say, Pam, you've been transferred to pediatric plastic surgery. Yeah. And you were like, I'm quitting or what were you, no, <laughs> what did you think? I was, I was already, I was already prepared because I knew if he's calling another meeting, he's going to make me try to leave again because I just felt this this gut feeling that there was something weird going on in the department and I didn't even want to be there anymore. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I was kind of relieved to leave, but I've heard really bad things about plastic surgery and how intense it is. Cause it's like call inpatient, everything I was doing at Kaiser. And I asked my attending, I'm like, so what does the position entail? Yeah. And he's like, well, the current PA takes call does this, this, this. And I was like, yeah. Cause your kids are still little. Yeah. I was like, is that my only option? He's like, 
yeah, I don't want to lay you off. And I was like, okay. Like I just like said, I, I was okay. I'm at peace with it. I'll just do it. And I'm just going to start applying for other jobs. And so Denise was also asked to leave. Oh, the one who'd been there forever. 17 plus years. Yeah. And all the other four PAs stayed. And I have no animosity towards those PAs. I love them all, but it was not fair that we were the only ones asked to leave. And so she was beside herself. She like, I can't even, I don't even want to mention it because I need permission from her, but she's like, I don't want to go to plastic surgery. I've heard of all these things. And one of her really good friends used to be there, but ended up moving away um, because she didn't like the position. And I was like, it's going to be really close to what ENT is. That's what my husband said, because it's a lot of like cleft left, cleft yeah. plastic surgery, but they also do these cranial vault surgeries where they're um, for kids with craniosynostosis, which is when the, the uh, bones fuse too early and their brain gets a lot of pressure. Wow. And so that freaked me out. I'm like, I don't want to do brain I, I just got hired from neurosurgery for a reason, but that's only a small portion of their practice. Okay. And so I was like, my husband like reassured me. He's like, if you don't like it, just get a new job. You have to at least try it. That's true. We won't have, we won't have health insurance. I, my health insurance is through, it's through my job. Oh. So I was kind of at peace with that. I'm like, I'll just try it out. It's fine. I've heard really good things about the attendings. And then that I get a phone call the day before I have to get my decision. This is all 48 hours. This is over 48 hours span. They said, you have to tell us now. And this is the other option. And there's the 1600 immigrants that came to San Diego. I don't know if you heard about him. Uh-huh. They were all teenagers between 13 and 18. And they took over the um, convention center and Radish Children's was having PAs, NPs and emergency room doctors come and screen them. Okay. And, um, like an urgent clinic. And I was like, wow, that seems really risky. Like what if I bring home tuberculosis or something or they, they said, when I talked to the lady on the phone about the decision, she's like, I highly advise you, this is the, my HR rep to take the plastic surgery position because this position at the convention center is only temporary. That's true. Until August. And I was like, all right. So I just ended up taking the plastic surgery position and it was the best decision I ever made. It was Hmm. amazing. And they treated me so good. It felt like a family. Oh, wow. So it ended up working out and you were so worried about it. I mean, I think that's a good, you said you were at peace about it. So I don't know how you came to that. It's so hard when you're making a decision. How did you? Yeah, I became peace at it after I was there for like a week. Okay. My first week, because I I got my feet wet. I kind of of started scrubbing into the operating room again. And I realized how much I missed being in the operating room. Okay. So we get a lot of dog bites to the face um, that we have to sew up. And these kids, you sew them up while they're asleep. I'm like used to sewing up faces while people are awake. And That's getting true. Yeah. And so I'm like, wow, they're not moving. I can make it look pretty. And one of the <laughs> surgeons, Dr. Holmes, who's, he's actually 70, he's in his early seventies and he hasn't retired because he loves his job. Oh, that's and, great. And he's taken me under his wing. And it reminds me of Dr. Brody, um, the surgeon that I worked with in yeah. UC Davis. He just lets me do everything. I feel like a resident when I'm in there yeah. and he's teaching me the, the right way to soak lacerations to the face and like everything. Wow. Um, so it's been amazing. I really love it. That is awesome. And then you also have, are you still in school to be a chaplain? <laughs> People are going to think I'm crazy. No, um, I think yeah. this is great. So tell us about <laughs> that decision. Like, how did you even think of that? Um, so how much time do you have? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to make it short and sweet because okay. I was actually interviewed by a, a woman called Taryn Palacios. And um, I can put a link in your show notes because okay. it talks all about the whole thing. But it started when I was back working in Sacramento and it was at a, okay. a hospital called Mercy San Juan. And there was a woman that I would see in the PACU area that would be talking to patients before every surgery. And I'd see her pull out like a rosary and she'd yeah. be praying with them. And I'm like, introduce myself. I'm like, hi, um, do you work here? Or are you a volunteer? She goes, oh no, I'm a chaplain. I I pray with families before surgeries. And, um, and I'm like, do you get paid for that? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> so that kind of planted a seed in my head. And then yeah. fast forward to um, my husband's 20th, excuse me, my husband's 20th um, high school reunion. Yeah. It was in downtown San Diego. And there was a woman there that was, she was um, 
really tall and blonde and she kind of radiated this aura. Like she looked like a, a spotlight was shining on her every time I saw her. Wow. And my husband was only at school for his junior and senior year because his family moved in between in the middle of high school and it's called Poway High. And so she, um, I go to my husband, I go, do you remember her? Can you introduce me to her? Because I'm usually not this animated and outgoing. I'm usually really shy around strangers. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm not just going to go up to them and tell my life story. But he's like, yeah, I'll introduce you. Like, what's going on? Like, I didn't say anything to my husband because he, he, he wouldn't have introduced me because he knows I'm crazy. <laughs> and he, he introduced me to her and he, she's like, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a hospice chaplain. Oh, and come to find out, I guess when her grandmother was really ill, mm-hmm. she was, she was with her every day until she died. And the hospice nurses told them, told her that she was so, um, so equipped to become either a hospice nurse or a chaplain, a hospice chaplain. Wow. And so right after her grandmother passed away, she went to Hawaii for like a two year chaplain program. And now she's a hospice chaplain in San Diego. That is so then, cool that you saw her and felt this magnetic pull towards her energy, not even mm-hmm. knowing she was a chaplain that you'd already sort of been interested in. Yeah. That's and cool. Then, and then a couple of days later, um, I believe in signs and I see signs every day from God. There, I was driving to Vaughn's, which is like a mile from our house. And the baby, my six-week-old was really young. She, I mean, six-week-old was like, I didn't want to take her out. So when my husband got home, I would go to the grocery store just to get out of the house, you know? Yeah. And I am about to turn the corner to get in the parking lot and the car in front of me said chaplain on it, on the license plate. It didn't have any numbers. It just said chaplain. And I'm like, God, I don't want to be a chaplain. I worked so hard to be a PA. Why are you trying to make me be a chaplain? Yeah. So that was like in the back of my head, but literally like five days later, that was on like a Tuesday or Wednesday. And like on Sunday, I took my baby to mass and my husband and to church and my husband didn't go with me because I think he was on call. And um, we were actually having a church service inside of a, uh, they were redoing the church at St. Thomas More. So it was in the basketball, um, um, what is it called? Uh, like arena. Yeah, it was in a basketball arena, just right next to the church. And they had speakers outside. And I don't know if you're familiar with Catholic churches, but there's never speakers outside. Like usually it's just what you hear at the altar. And so I'm like, thank God if I have to nurse my daughter or do something, like if she cries, I can come outside and still hear the sermon. Yeah. So when it came to the homily, which is like the sermon, they had an, a visiting um, a visiting deacon who started talking about when he was first training to become a chaplain. Did I tell you this already? Uh-uh. No, I haven't okay. heard this. So he, um, he said that one of his first assignments back in his 20s He's probably in his 50s or 60s now. Um, he was assigned to this room of a um, teenage boy. He's probably 13 or 14. He was terminal with cancer, meaning he was probably yeah. going to die soon. He was in a hospice. And his grandmother, who was elderly, was sitting next to him, and she just looked really tired. So um, the chaplain, Deacon, said, oh, why don't I go ahead and, you know, sit with your with your um, grandson while you go get a bite to eat or some coffee? And she's like, Okay. And so she sits there, uh, he sits there next to this really uh, like pale, very thin um, terminal little teenager. And the chaplain says, so what can I do for you? Can I pray with you? Like, what can I do? He's like, well, I've never prayed before. And he's like, really? He's like, can you teach me how to pray? Oh my gosh. And so, you know, I, when he saw me this, I'm like, like breastfeeding my daughter. I'm like crying. I'm like, oh, that's so beautiful. And so he told him, like, just pray to God, talk to God like he's your friend or like, you know, tell him about your needs, your wants, or just, you know, just whatever you want, say things you're sorry for. And he prayed with him for the first time in his entire life. He saved his soul. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so fast forward to, um, I can't remember the most recent thing that happened, but I, um, I, I know you know this. I enrolled at Colorado Christian University. Um, after a deacon, um, told me to like, take these certain steps, um, deacon Jerry, um, is, or at St. Elizabeth Seton, there's a deacon and there's a priest. And so it's father Michael and deacon Jerry. And so I've been really good. Well, not good friends, but he's been like a mentor to me for the last like eight years since he moved here from Chicago. 
and his wife has had um, stage four breast cancer, but she's in remission. And it was during COVID. So at the beginning uh -huh. of COVID, and I kept getting these signs from New York. I'm sure you saw the news. And I was just like, I felt like I really needed to be a lay person to help all these people that can't have anybody in the room with them. Well, that's true. Last breaths, you know? Yeah. And I was like, God, I do not want to go to New York. I have a family. Like, why do you keep showing me these signs for me to go to New York? And so I emailed Deacon. I'm like, ask him about chaplaincy. And he never emailed me back. Two months went by and it's wow. like April or May um, of last year. And, and it's middle of the night. I get woken up at three in the morning. And this happens to me a lot. Like I literally have been functioning <laughs> insomniac for eight years since I was nine months pregnant with my daughter. And I haven't really slept since because I'm like, I'm a mom. That's yeah. why I talk to you. So <laughs> that's what time I usually get up between three and five every morning. Wow. Not on purpose, just because yeah. I can't go out to sleep. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't have anything else to do. So I'm going to go journal, pray and do whatever. So at three in the morning, I get woken up and I start praying the rosary. And I don't know if you're familiar with the rosary, but like for all of the, there's 50 Hail Marys that you pray. And then in between each decade is a, our father. And for all 50 of the Hail Marys, I say an intention, like um, help keep my mom colon cancer free or whatever, you know, for yeah. the majority. And so I was in the middle of it and I felt this overwhelming sense of like the Holy Spirit being present. And I was bawling uncontrollably. Wow. And I just like, I finally finished my last like Hail Holy Queen um, um, prayer. And I got off my knees because I was kneeling down and I was like, I have to email Deacon Jerry. This is my last, my last hurrah before I just call him on his cell phone because I have a cell phone number. I just didn't want to bother him. Yeah. And so, um, so I emailed him and then I go to sleep. It's probably like 4.30 in the morning. And I actually went back to sleep. That never yeah. happened. I woke up, the kids are in Zoom school because it's COVID. And um, I get an email back from him at eight in the morning saying, hey, I can meet with you this afternoon. This wow. Like 10 minutes later, I get a phone call from Deacon Jerry, like telling me, hey, it's now a good time. I had an appointment that canceled. I'm like, yes, hold on. And so I like throw Daniel Tiger on for the girls. I'm like, forget your Zoom meeting. <laughs> we'll catch up later. And he tells me, I tell him my whole story from what I just told you, which yeah. is like a bunch of word vomit. And he's like, Pam, God is trying to tell you that you need to be a chaplain. Okay. Like, Are you sure? Because I worked so hard to be a PA. Are you sure? I know. He's like, no, this is what you need to do. And he tells me everything. He goes, you need to major in either theology or pastoral studies. I have a mentor that's a woman that you can talk to. And you need to do this, this, and this. Like if you go to a hospital and say there's a really bad car accident and a three-year-old little boy is passed away and you show up and you have to talk to the family, this is what you need to say. If you have to talk to somebody with terminal cancer, this is what you have to say. But you, and I was like, well, why can't I just do it now with COVID? Yeah. Like, I just go now. I'm a PA. I can get in anywhere. Yeah. You know, like I just flashed my badge. I can go to any hospital. And he's like, Pam, I know you can save someone's life, someone's airway, but are you ready to save somebody's soul? Wow. And I'm like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he's like, you just got to do like a one to two year program and, and you'll be done. And then um, two days later, I don't know if I told you this, but um, I'm in Target and it's like the first time I'm in Target <laughs> since COVID. I have my mask on, my gloves. And I get a phone call from Don, who's my former MOPS coordinator. It stands for Mothers of Preschoolers. It's an uh -huh. international um, Christian organization. And she's like, Pam, I have some news. I'm like, what? She said, Deacon Jerry died and had a heart attack like two hours ago. Oh, wow. That's crazy. I just knew he left a legacy for me. You know, mm -hmm. like no matter what my husband says, no matter what other people say, I have to do it, yeah. you know? And, um, sorry. That's okay. So what was I saying? So I said, did you talk to your husband that afternoon or how did, had you like made a commitment mentally? Like, okay, that's what he said. I need to do. I need to do it. Or was it once yeah. he passed away that you were like, oh my gosh, I have to do it. I already knew after I spoke with him two days prior that I was going to do it. Cause mm -hmm. he gave me that final like push, like, okay. Yeah. That I'm internal like, confirmation. Yeah. And so after seeing a hundred signs where I could have figured it out myself, like Deacon just instilled that confidence in me that this is the right decision. Yeah. I'm not going to like, I, it's just a job, but at the same time, like, I feel like it's my calling right now. And I feel like we all have different callings, whether it's yeah. being a Durham PA, an ENTPA, a mom, whatever you feel like your calling is, 
it fluctuates throughout your lifetime. And like, yes. I probably won't be a chaplain my whole life, but at least I will have this ability to help heal people like spiritually, or mm-hmm. at least help them on their road to eternity. You know yeah. what I mean? So and you I can still like, be a PA, right? Like you can do yeah, both. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm planning on, I already pray for my patients quietly all the yeah. time, but I'll get in big trouble. If like, I try to wear a cross necklace whenever I'm at work, just so they know that I'm Christian and that um, if they feel a lot of people will start a conversation like, Oh, what church do you go to? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I can't at a children's hospital. It's not a Catholic hospital. You can't just like go right. up to somebody and say, Hey, let's pray. Right. I'm also a chaplain. So that's a big reason why I want that chaplain. Yeah. You know, so you're working, you're in school, you're a momming, like how's it all going? It's great. I have never been happier in my entire life. I really feel like me and my husband are like really connected. And yeah. I mean, we're constantly growing, whether it's your relationship with your husband that you've been married to for 18 years or been with for 18 years, whether it's your profession or these callings. And I love how you, you didn't listen at first, but the signs kept appearing. And, you know, that's what Oprah says, like, there's a little nudge that you feel, maybe a whisper. And if you don't listen to that, then it gets louder. And then if you still don't listen, then, you know, something may happen to really catch your attention. It may be an illness. It may be, who knows, but you'll get kind of balked upside the head. <laughs> yes. That's the best way of putting it, balked on the head. If you yeah. remember in the carnivals or like at, I don't know if you have a circus circus in Reno or Vegas. And you're hitting with the, mm-hmm. like the little animals that come up and then you have to hit them with the. Yeah. Whack-a-mole. Yeah. Yes. That's right. the best description. I love that. Exactly. And I've, I've tried, I don't know that my husband always feels the same like pull or nudge, but I've tried to explain, you know, why do you want to do this hope? And I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like a pull. I just, you know, and he's like, but where does that come from? And I don't, you know, universe, God, who knows, but if you if you feel it, you'd need to at least entertain the idea. Exactly. Yeah. So what's so, next on your, how much longer do you have till you're done with your chaplainism? I actually, I think I might've told you this, but I kind of took a break. Um, That's okay. With everything that I, I transitioned to that new job in plastic surgery, yeah. I had to study like every night. Oh, I'm actually, it's so funny because I have my laptop on the book that I read from. So this is like, one of my books I've been studying from for plastic surgery and like there's so much I need to know and I want to be the best plastic surgery PA that I can mm-hmm. but on the side like with Durham like I know I was talking to you before like I wanted to go to Durham and that's because I love doing like Botox and fillers yeah and you can't really do that on kids yeah I know <laughs> you yeah you can't practice on kids no but I love that but- you're studying your new job, you're studying the material. And then you're also like, I can't focus on two things and be excellent at both. So you're putting yes. one on pause and focusing yes. on the other. And the other thing is um, I'm starting a company <laughs> called Botox Babes. I love and it. It's going to be like a mobile, like right now, the only ones that I do are like parties or at like, you go to the hair salon, like that's where I go. And I've been doing it for years. And it's like so much fun for me. And I want to charge the least amount I can because I just want women to feel beautiful in their skin. And when you hit like 40, 50 and you're getting wrinkles and stuff, like a lot of women get really self-conscious and they get bangs like my mom and my aunt. And I just want people to feel confident in their skin, women especially. And um, so I'm going to, I'm starting this company and it's going to be a mobile medical unit where it's like a Mercedes Bernie ran and saving up for and the side is going to say Botox babes. And I'm going to do like Botox and fillers and um, facials. And just, it's going to be like a fun that spa. That is fun. Like a mobile spa. Pam, I love yeah, this. So you're a chaplain. I'm so excited. You're a pediatric PA and you're a Botox <laughs> injector. <laughs> I love it. And it's easy and fun. And it's like immediate results, you know? Yeah. And you can do a bunch of different things, y'all. So if you're listening and you're like, that's crazy, she's doing all this, but you can, like you can, you can have a lot of passions, a lot of callings in life. You don't have to just like our parents be at the same job for 40 years and retire from there. Yeah. And my youngest is just turned three is going to start preschool in a few weeks. So I'm going to have so much time on my hands. Yes, you have so much extra time. I just am going to start this company. So if anybody out there knows about LLCs versus 
corporation, like reach out because I need help. Okay, Pam. So before we go, if you could go back and talk to your younger self, it could be the you when you were in San Diego or the you who was at Kaiser. Do you have any advice you would give yourself? I think I would tell myself the Kaiser self not to be so hard on myself because looking back on all those crazy call nights for like, I don't know, a hundred Wednesday evenings to the mid mornings, I am such a confident, more confident person in my specialty. And I've learned so much and it's really just a job and the kids were asleep. So they didn't really miss me. That's true. You were probably so Um, hard on yourself. Yeah. So many women have so much guilt when they go back to work, but mama needs to work and we're not, they're only our temporary children where they're really God's children. So Mm -hmm. you need, if you need a mama break, if you need a vacation with your husband by himself, that is good for you being a better mom or being a better wife or did a girl's trip. Like you have to make time for yourself. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us your website. Where can people find you? So I have a YouTube channel called PA in the AM and my Botox Babes website is under construction because this is all within the last like couple of weeks. (laughs) It'll be um, right. I, my Pamela Salgado.com is going to transition to Botox Babes, but um, maybe you'll have two websites. I don't know. Hope you have two websites. No, but I think you can just have them all like funnel into one. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll probably end up having two different that funnel into one. And then my, um, I sell Rodan and Fields as well. And then I also <laughs> sell these Charmed stethoscope wings. I don't know if you can see, but, oh, you probably, you're just listening to this. So it's like, it's blingy stuff for the end of your stethoscope, right? Yeah. So you can Those see like, cute. there's a little mermaid tail. There's a mom with a heart. And I just have so many of them. I love them. And the person who created them, my initials, the person who created them is uh, a doctor out of San Diego. So um, if you want 20% off, um, use code Pamela at CharMed. Like it's like charmed, but med, that's a scope link. And um, all the the links will be in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. I'll put all the links. I have loved this conversation. I didn't know you were doing so many different things. But you are too. I feel like I need an update from you, but we'll do that later. (laughs) (laughs) So y'all will have a link and check out Pamela, Pam, and her cute kids. I don't know if they're on your website, but anyway. They have their own YouTube channel. Okay, so we'll... (laughs) (laughs) They've only done two things and it's like a cooking show. It's really cute, but... um, They're taking after you. The only people that watch it are our family. So it's like a private one, but I can open it up public if anybody wants to. see my kids cooking. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking time on your Saturday to join me and I will make sure everybody has your links. Thank you so much, Hope. It was such a fun conversation. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast. If you like this podcast and think someone else could benefit, please share it. I'd also love for you to write a review on your favorite podcast platform like Spotify or Apple. And lastly, if you would like more of the same, come over to my website, hopethepa.com. Thank y'all for listening.